podcast by and for people of color that aims to dismantle the assumptions that fuel the oppression economy. Your hosts are Jeremy Greer and Solana Rice, the co-founders and co-executive directors of Liberation and a Generation Action. Let's get it. On this episode of Racism is Profitable, we're talking about personal responsibility. You know, the idea that if your money's not right, it's because you're doing something wrong. Endless political and policy decisions are rooted in this toxic assumption driven by the flawed belief that people's behavior and choices are in their way. Just pick yourself up by your bootstraps already. We know it's really the systemic barriers and the blatant racism that built them that lets policymakers minimize our deservedness and ultimately deny black and brown folks access to economic opportunity and government support. Hear this, the struggles that people of color endure are not the consequences of our own actions or inactions. Michael Tubbs joins us today to say it straight. Now we got a lot of things, a lot of racism going on in the world right now. Who's more racist, black people or white people? Black people, you know why? Cause we hate black people too. Everything white people don't like about black people, black people really don't like about black people. There's some shit going on with black people right now. It's like a civil war going on with black people. And there's two sides. It's black people and there's niggas. And niggas have got to go. <laughs> we hate black people too. Uh, <laughs> that's so important to what we're talking about. By the way, y'all, this is Jeremy. This, that is uh, Chris Rock, a skit from uh, one of his HBO stand-up specials. But it's so germane to what we're talking about today because we're talking about deservedness and deservedness is so ingrained in us that like we embody it, we perpetuate it in a way that I, I don't think we do in any other of the topics that we've talked about. I mean, this is like black people are as like guilty of this as as white people, right? Like I can think of people in my family that said that thing that Chris Rock said to me about like my cousin, my uncle, you know, my, my auntie, like, like that was just like the way, like it was just there, like, yeah, well, yeah. How about, yeah how about and there was there was definitely distinguishing characteristics, right? There were distinguishing characteristics that made us different than them. Like we were all right, black right. people. Like my my dad would often be like, "They might not say a word, but no, they, no. yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. No. And literally, <laughs> it would be like my dad just like two years ago, back when I we could travel. And I was back home and we were going to go to this like newish restaurant in a white part of town, whiteish part of town. It's not super white anymore. <laughs> and he said, we're going to go here, but I hope it's not us serving. <laughs> and so it was like, it was like, it was us, right? He's literally using the term us. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. like them us. us. So it's like very, it's very yeah, new because yeah. he's like, and I'm like, dad, that's, that's like, you can't do this anymore. Like what, why, what? And he's like, ah, oh, the service, they just, they just be putting everything everywhere and the sloppy and, da -da. and I'm like, okay, yeah, we can't. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right. I remember like getting in, we go to grocery, we go grocery shopping and we go to like some grocery store, like out in the damn burbs. And it was like, yeah, yeah that exact thing. Like, like it's just better. 
It's just better. Yeah, it's there, just better. Right? Right, it's just yeah. good there. And I grew up on in Cleveland, so we would we would go to the west side, right? We don't go ah, to the east side of Cleveland to get ah, anything. We yeah. go to the mall on the west side. The mall on the west side. country he just my like my dad and my family just like <laughs> love the furniture love like being out of the country like we're gonna go to amish country and here we are like black people like <laughs> in the 80s out they, of were amish like, they were like yeah. it was you your mom and your dad right that was it yeah. Yeah, black my grandma. Like, oh your grandma yeah and, and my amish. grandma yeah, with the did, y'all, did you ride the buggy? Did, they, did you ride no, the buggy? No, 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 no. But I definitely remember these little white kids, like especially one little white boy. Like we were in a grocery store, and he like peered his head around the <laughs> the aisle, like, "What are the? Are who they, are these right. people?" Like a little yeah. toe-headed, bowl cut little boy, really adorable. But like, oh my gosh, no, we must have rocked see, his world never that see a day. Black person is life, yeah. Mm-mm, mm-mm, no, but, no. But, it, <laughs> but we do this right because we are holding people up to a standard that is set by white supremacy right that you have to be a certain way that deservedness this concept of deservedness is defined by what is deemed acceptable by white supremacy right that you are a right. working person yeah. that you are a family person that you are a christian person that you are a straight mm-hmm. person and that you are a white person and that you yeah. embody as much of that whiteness as you can and that that is what determines what you can get how you can get it i remember being in college um i went to a largely white school university of st thomas in st paul and I remember like us being on campus and being hyper aware of how we had to present ourselves. Like I see, Mm. like I see young people walking around campus today and like, I mean, it's not easy for them. Mm. I'm not trying to, but you know, like wearing dreads, you know, wearing, wearing like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, Mm -hmm. they're black lives matter. Like we wouldn't have done that because it was like, you need to try to one, stay under the radar and two make sure that you don't let anyone know that you don't deserve to be here. That yeah. you, that you're, which was a losing battle because no one thought we deserved to be there anyway. Well, I think that's what's so hard is that the line for what is acceptable keeps shifting and mm-hmm. the bar keeps getting higher and higher. So we see that's this right. in our personal way, right? In our personal lives. Um, you know, it, it's, it's like, what is acceptable? We just have to keep guessing right like you just said like at one point you know locks and dreadlocks were not acceptable we still see in the olympics we're like nope dreadlocks not acceptable or like you know i remember when i was when i decided to not perm my hair anymore straighten my hair my mom was like are you okay are you okay (laughs) are you letting yourself go like it's it's so it's it's hard to know it's hard to know for ourselves deep down what we really want to do, what what right. is acceptable for us and what what we can thrive in. You know, a lot right. of people still feel like I can't have my hair not relaxed. I can't have my hair not permed because I'm not going to get a job. Right. These are have this has mm-hmm. real consequences. Mm-hmm. This narrative yeah. has real uh, economic consequences. Um, yeah. And then we carry it into policy. So it's like. Yep. Oh, now we're talking about, oh, you got to make this much money in order to have this kind of tax break. Or you got to have right. not this much money to to get 
to get right. a benefit. It's like, I, I can't contort myself anymore and any more pretzels to be acceptable. Right. No. And, and we and this you're right. This has real public policy implications. So, you know, I, that's why I'm so excited to talk to Mayor Tubbs today about his work in um, in Stockton, California, is because we've seen this in social policy and in economic policy. Mm-hmm. You know, the when welfare reform happened in the 90s. You know, the the push for it came from the Reagan era in which they held up the kind of other side of deservedness, which was the stereotype of the welfare queen. This this person Mm -hmm. who was really more mythological than actual, even though it's based on a real person. But it was like really the myth around it is what what mattered. But this person that had multiple kids was having kids going state to state. defrauding the government, taking benefits, you know, living, you know, uh, uh, this fast lifestyle, spending money on all these things. And that that was what the government had to protect the taxpayer against was this Uh welfare queen. And then we saw when Clinton came in with welfare reform in the 90s, he held up the other side of that deservedness <laughs> coin. He held up uh, a mother of two who was a single mother, but a mother of two who was working hard and who was, you know, she's she had a job. She worked 40 hours a week, but she just wasn't able to make ends meet. And it was like this other. But either way, it's in response to this, like, ideal yeah. of deservedness that is set by, like, white standards. Yeah. Yeah, and that she was taking responsibility. She had, if you ever hear this like term, they have skin in the game. There's something, which is like what? Terrible. (laughs) It's what? Oh, yeah. It's ah. But this is some conqueror. Only a conqueror (laughs) could come up with something like that. Like, yeah. Like you've got to show, and and you just never know what the what what it's going to be today or tomorrow, right? right? It might be income one day. It might be hair another day. uh, But we are traversing some serious systems that really only say that we're valuable if we're producing something for someone else. Um, And that if, if, the standards haven't been met and oh you don't know what the standards are but if your sta- if the standards haven't been met uh you're you're out of luck you just haven't you haven't proven your work so yeah and you know and, and but no one ever asks a question like what about whiteness entitles people to like billion dollar tax breaks or mm-hmm. you know to um, interest-free borrowing from the Federal Reserve, like we talked about with, with another guest. Like, there's no one ever asked, like, what about whiteness entitles people to that or lets them be deserving of that? But we're constantly having to justify why we deserve what are really crumbs in the grand right. scheme of things. We're, we're just right. constantly put in, in, in that position. And, and the way that the politicians turn themselves into pretzels in order to like justify this really, really, really awful and awkward thinking is really, it's really astonishing. So it's, it's really exciting to talk to, to Mayor Tubbs about it. I can't wait. And that's why I'm hoping that he'll shed some light on how this myth perpetuates racism being profitable. Yo, Michael Tubbs is on the pod. He is the founder of the Mayors for Guaranteed Income and Ending Poverty in California, 
otherwise known as Epic. Uh, he is a former mayor of Stockton, California, and he has a new book, Deeper the Roots, a memoir of hope and home. What's up, Michael? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hi, Michael. How are those babies first? Uh, well, you can see I got the little carrier behind me, but they're good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my son hasn't ran in yet because right before I logged on, he kept too much info, but he loves the Drake song, Fair Trade. So he goes outside when he's outside. So he kept opening the door uh-huh. to go outside. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Clearly my son, clearly. clearly. Man, <laughs> a lot of music in the house, sounds like, yeah. <laughs> so good, so good. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about this personal responsibility narrative. Your book uh, illuminates a lot of how this came about for you. Um, I'm wondering, though, tell us a little bit more about when you first confronted this personal responsibility narrative um, and really how did it land for you? Well, what's funny is that I used to be a big adherent to, to it, right? To 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 the ideology, to the ideology. Um, just growing up poor in Stockton, so much of what my mom taught, my grandma and aunt taught, but also like church and other people I looked up to was this idea that you have to work twice as hard, you have to put yourself up by your bootstraps, etc. And looking back at it now, I realized that part of that was just a. a survival like as a young person mm-hmm. what agency do i have against a system right so i think it's for them it was i think it was them trying to give me some agency and like no you you are stronger than this but now i realize as an adult it's just an incomplete narrative right like that that agency definitely exists but mm. we wouldn't have to overemphasize agency if we got the structures right so i think a big part of what was lacking was a discussion about structures and understanding of structures and the idea that yes people make bad decisions but those bad decisions are oftentimes made in horrible environments created by terrible policy decisions. And I look, mm. and, and now, that, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, especially I would teach, I would talk to my young people about, no, like, you are smart and beautiful and, and fearless and brilliant. And you, because things are so jacked up, you do, it's not fair. You do have to work twice as hard. But the onus isn't on you working twice as hard. It's not because your parents failed. You're working twice as hard because the system has failed. And in doing that work, you'll be in a position to correct that. So not the cleanest answer, but I think this is, it is so messy because you want to make sure people feel hope. People feel some like ability to, to, to do something or else I think you could ear towards being very nihilistic, very reductionistic and, 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 and deflate people from the possibility of, of rising up um, and exerting their agency, whether individual or, or collectively. Um, so very long-winded and meandering answer, but it's been something I still grapple with. And that's why when I taught, I would have a lesson called Upset the Setup, where we just spend two days talking about structure versus agency and talking about, like, no, there, mm. there is a setup. Like, like we're not making yeah. this up. Like, there are certain things that are set up for your failure, and that's not okay. And you're not crazy. Because I think oftentimes, what the pull yourself by your bootstrap narrative miss, it's like reality. It's like you're telling people that everything you see is because you and your kinfolk and your cousins and them all just make terrible choices. And if you guys have made right. terrible choices, you'll be in a better neighborhood. And they're like, well, no, like I didn't pick this school. Like I didn't pick this teacher who's that credential. Like I didn't pick these liquor stores. Like it, 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 I think it really right. drives people like crazy. 
Um, so that's why I would tell them, like, no, 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 let's be real. This is not fair. This is a setup. It's real. But what's also real is that sort of structure wins when we just give up and we say, well, that's just the way it is or it's how it's always been. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, you as, as Mayor Stockton, you stepped out there and really pushed through this narrative in making policy in like offering cash to people that, that need it, right? The people that need it to kind of live day to day. And I wonder if you could talk about like, where did this conversation around deservedness, and I, I, I'm assuming that it did, show up in like the conversations you had with people around that policy, whether it was like the folks you needed to get to pass it, the folks in the community that you need to bring along, like what were some of the, those conversations? The like? funders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, what, 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 what was interesting, I think, because people heard like, oh, this is a, his dad's in jail. His mom had him young. He went to Stanford. Now he's mayor. I think a lot of people, particularly more conservative people in my community, expected me to like weaponize my identity against my folks and be like, well, look, I mm. did it. You guys need to do it. And I made a very conscious effort intentionally to use mm -hmm. my story in a way that speaks to all the policy failures along the way. And I really frustrate a lot of people. So on, on any issue, whether it's, um, and like anything, people would always be upset because like you're just giving people things. I'm like, yes, I'm giving people opportunity. Yes, I, I'm 100. <laughs> percent I'm Mr. Opportunity Giveaway. That's Guilty. all. I, that's Guilty. All you I'm got it. You got and it. Particularly with the basic income stuff, because it's also racialized. And, and what people don't understand is, Stockton is the most diverse city, but the city's only 10 percent black. It is um, 30, 35 percent white, 30, 35 percent um, Latino, 20 percent Asian. And diversity doesn't mean racial equity, and it doesn't even mean racial tolerance. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a real history and, and, and legacy of racism um, in the city, which is evidenced by the fact that in 2016, black people being in the stock since 1849, in 2016, they had the first black mayor. Like, that, that's not because, again, mm. I'm magic. I and mean, it's not because sort of no, no other black person in the history of the city was qualified to be mayor because there's structures set up. The, anyway, so when we're doing guaranteed income. It became Michael Tubbs is giving money to black people. Or Michael Tubbs is just to black people. I'm like, it's statistically impossible. Like, they're like most people that get this money about to be white is based off the numbers, right? Um, or um, Michael Tubbs is giving money to people who don't want to work. Or Michael Tubbs is bribing people to vote for. It was all this, all this imaging. And this is before we gave out a single dollar. This is before we even had selection criteria. So there was no, there was nothing. It was an, it was an idea, and people already had in their minds that somehow. Those who weren't deserving, those who deserve to be poor, those who deserve to struggle, were going to be giving something. And what was the craziest thing to me, and I still don't understand this piece, is that it wasn't even government money. It was like philanthropic money. So that's why I, I, I literally thought it would be a no conflict, which is dumb. But I was like, <laughs> it's, no one, it's, someone's like the money's going somewhere. Like, why not have right. some money come here at the at, at, at right. a very basic level? But yeah. people were really upset. I would get comments like, they get everything. Who is they? We haven't picked nobody yet. <laughs> they, they don't work, they. and I have to work. They, or you're helping them, or you're helping mm. your kind. It, it was just really wild, and it really was heartbreaking. I, just the level of contempt for people who were struggling, the level of racism and anti-blackness, particularly in a city where the median income it's only $40,000. So everyone's broke almost. Like, like, so I'm like, like this is like, y'all should be like, hallelujah. Right. Let's help them out and figure out how to help more people. But it instead, it turned into, and then people were mad. 
because we could only help 125 people because we didn't have um, a lot of support or funding um, in terms of government dollars at that time. And people were mad that they weren't getting it and were trying to find out who was getting it and were like posting lies on Facebook about how they knew somebody who had it, who did something terrible. It was just the most bizarre, bizarre reaction to a million dollars and I, I think I've ever seen. But it taught me a lot mm-hmm. about, and that's what the work you all are doing, not just with the podcast, but the policy work, et cetera, to really call the question and really disentangle because the setup exists because there's a ubiquitous sort of agreement that black people are lazy, even if people don't say it, that, 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 that yeah. poor people don't want to work, that, that people are poor because they mm-hmm. can't manage money. And until we really break down that sort of ideological alliance will continue to have half-baked policy measures that seek problems that aren't actually the real problems that need to be solved. Like the, the solution, and I know you guys have said this a lot, like the solution to poverty and economic insecurity is not a money management course. No. Like, I mean, that, no. Could, that could be a solution to something, but to that problem, it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. And, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, you can't, yeah, you can't money manage your way into paying a five hundred dollar rent if you only got three hundred dollars. There's there's no management that solves that problem. And then there, and then there's no management that solves the fact that you have to go to check cash and you get your check cash to pay the bill right. through the first. Like, like these are actually no like matter. logical economic yeah. decisions. They're yeah. actually pretty rational when you look at the whole context. So long yeah. answer to say it, it just taught me that so much of this work is narrative and that's why i started with the book mm-hmm. with epic and even with marriage guaranteed income we're really trying to make sure we assert ourselves and do a better job of challenging myths challenging notions and it's a little bit easier to do that now that i'm not in elected office because <laughs> even when i was elected i wasn't really good at like reflecting public sentiment i was always trying to push it and that creates yeah. conflict that's not ideally your politician wouldn't have to do that but now that i'm not in politics Formally, I can really push the envelope and push us to where we need to be because it, it, it's just, particularly in California, it's quite unacceptable that we have a $40 billion plus budget surplus because rich people got richer during a pandemic and the highest rate of poverty in the country. Like that, mm-hmm. with the Democratic legislature. Like, mm-hmm. that is mind boggling to me. And it's what's heartbreaking is that it's almost a bipartisan consensus that. Oh, some folks are just gonna be poor. Like some folks just mm. don't want to work hard. Some folks are just lazy. Some folks will and will be happy for the Michael Tubbses that make it and not do anything to interrogate why would only one person make it if we truly believe that talent and intellect are evenly distributed. <laughs> that 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 genius lives everywhere. Anyway, I'm, I'm right. just talking now. Right. Well, no, I I, I so there were some things that I want to pull and double click on from from what you just said, which is, you know, this has political ramifications. These aren't just like narratives that just like you might see on the cover of a magazine. You just walk by and you're like, oh, yeah, OK, bye. Um, this had political implications for you. It could technically have potentially have political implications for the other mayors that are are supporting things like guaranteed income. I, I would love to hear more about what are the narrative how how does that narrative work uh play out in the yeah. other places and then like how are you preparing either yourself or other folks for like the political backlash yeah. because you 
you went through. I mean, you just like went through it. Like, you went through it. Hard. Yeah, yeah. Hard. And no one said, "Let me help you out." Right? No, like, no. I, <laughs> like I joke with my mayors all the time because now there's more of a punishment if you're not part of like the guaranteed income mayor. So right, now you got people like, "Why aren't you a part?" Right? So right. I took a lot of heat, but that's that, but actually that's a function of leadership. That sometimes you have to be first, yeah. you have to provide the cover. Learn, learn the lessons and the idea is not about you anyway it's about policy idea let's get it to scale mm-hmm. um so my first the first day we announced we're doing guaranteed income i was 27 years old we were at this conference and joe biden um then vice president now president biden gave a speech about coal workers and they asked him about like basic income and he said we're not sending people checks like people want the dignity of work and the oh. first question I received as a 27-year-old was like, VP Biden said that this is like, takes away dignity. And like, how do you respond to that? And it was then I realized that so much of it wasn't about doing the demonstration. So much of it was having the conversation. So that, like, in that moment, I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be able to kind of dance around. I'm not going to be able to sort of say the platitudes that I know people want to hear. I'm just going to be really real and direct. So from that moment on, we started talking about the dignity of people before mm-hmm. dignity being attached to work. And maybe if we live in a society that reflected that, people could work in dignified conditions and not have poverty wages, lack of ability to collect bargain. Like in the pandemic, we don't have pay, pay leave when people are supposed to isolate for five. Like it's just, if we really sat down and think about how bizarre in many respects our, our, our world and our country is in terms of policy. It's really hard. Like, we're in a pandemic that's highly contagious, that can be deadly for some people. And the order is to stay home for five days if you get it. And the vast majority of essential workers don't have paid time off. So they either listen to the CDC ruling or they go to work and get more people sick. And because we don't really have a, a strong safety net, most people are choosing to go to work if they're like asymptomatic or if they're not like, you know, and, and anyway, so it was, so that it became very clear that the fight was a narrative one. I remember hmm. I would get all these trolls from Fox news, like calling my office and swarming my Facebook page and like Sarah Palin and Chuck Woolery were like, Posting pictures on my face. Like, wait, 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 wait. be back in two and two, Chuck Woolery? <laughs> yeah, me and Chuck Woolery have like a Twitter beat. Because he posted my picture. It was like, you know, I post my picture, make everyone know I was black. So I was like, look at this young black man. It's like, 26 year old mayor giving money for criminals. And, and then they were like mixing the programs up. We were doing like some gun intervention work, which included like a fellowship for folks to get paid to help keep the peace. Mm-hmm. But folks were just conflicted and like, He's giving basic income to shooters to not murder. It was just craziness. And I realized that I had to like just really punch back, punch back. But even like sympathetic news outlets. I remember being on CBS this morning in like 2018 and the host like laughing about the idea of giving people money and saying like, you really think like, like, and realizing that, wow, we have such strong contempt for folks who are struggling without any... Mm -hmm understanding that a lot of the wealth that's generated in this country is because we have so many people in poverty, because we have so many people Mm -hmm. who don't make enough. So then to answer your question with the mayors, um, I think COVID-19 has given an opportunity to have the conversation. 
in a, in a different way where it's not like a veneer that everything's fine. Because when we were talking about guaranteed income in 2017, everything wasn't fine. Like one in two people couldn't afford an emergency, but it was hidden. Mm-hmm. It was quiet. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the folks who are most infected they didn't have political power. So no one felt the need to talk mm-hmm. about it. There was no... But with COVID-19, it's made everything so brazen and bare. And I think in that vacuum, mayors have really stepped up. And I mean, it's been, a, some of them really got it just because of upbringing, but some of them it's been like a little bit of a journey. And some of them took a while to even get comfortable. And some of them, we want to measure how them, and now the, now we st- and we've saw this with the Build Back Better plan. Now we still have to fight around. We, we will, I would say I'm proud that it's moved from, can we give people money? I think that's consensus. Like we can give some yeah. people money. Now the question okay. is who and how much, right? Right? And yeah. and so I think part of the narrative work, even with the mayor, is to really get us to understand that no one's smart enough to design the perfect program for because everyone mm. there's a lot of consensus around families and children and and, and mothers, which is great. I'm I'm all for that huge first step. But we have to get to a point where we just understand that everyone deserves economic security, that everyone mm-hmm. deserves a baseline. Yeah. Because we have it. It's not like we we, we are like our country has it. It's not that we're not we don't have to charge, we don't have to buy like we have the resources to do it. And now just people are like, Well, I can help this group. Um, let me help this group. Let me help um and they're getting so particular, it's a little bit weird to me. Like mm-hmm. I wanna help <laughs> Um, mothers with three kids and no dad, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, with like, poodle, with poodle, yeah, but not like, two poodles. Yeah, yeah, super, super specific, and it's like a government thing. And I'm like, let's back up and say we want everyone to have a guaranteed income because everyone, regardless of the choices they make, regardless right. to anything, deserves a floor by virtue of being human. And because we have finite resources, we're targeting our program in this way. So we're working on it. Long, long answer to your question. We're working on it. But I would say I've been proud to have other elected leaders sort of really step up and kind of champion and talk about and really push and fight for and defend it. Sending letters to the White House about the child tax credit, et cetera, because that level of advocacy mm-hmm. from elected did not exist even three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if you could pull into that a little bit. Like what? Because you mentioned like, the reaction you got as like an early um, person to step out there and that it's a different conversation today. Like what are some of the like points in time to pivot that? Cause we talk about this at liberation generation a lot. Like you have a, we, you can have a bold idea of the future, but you still have to walk to get there and there's steps along the way. So I wonder what is the, like your reflection on what are some of the things that happened that have moved this conversation to, to, to you, as you said, from like, can we to yes we can yeah. it's about how i think sort of <laughs> well first was just getting out there in the ether right so so mm-hmm. the announcement of the pilot and then magnolia's mother's trust in jackson mississippi mm-hmm. yeah did their we're doing their pilot yes i'll tell you we're doing their pilot so you got things on the ground you had some of the we had like wide comments of going, but I think because I was in political office, it just attracted more attention because there's like, like you're mm-hmm. not gonna, no one's gonna come for you when you're like, a, not, like in the same way, but you're like a, yeah. governing a city and saying we should do this. Like, oh wow. And then you had sort of Andrew Yang run on this idea of basic income, which had everyone thinking like mm-hmm. basic income, basic income, basic income. Mm-hmm. And then sort of 
when COVID, when, in March of 2020, when kind of, and so we were doing like a lot of narrative work and interviews, so people were interested. Like, I can't wait to see the data. I could get with this. I could not get mm-hmm. with this. We'll see. You also had a bunch of earned income tax credit advocacy, particularly in yeah. California going on, where it's like, let's give people checks and let's try to do it like that, et cetera, et cetera. Then COVID happened. And then I can speak for just from the mayor's perspective. When COVID happened, mayors were like, my folks got to eat. What can we do? So they would do like one-time things. So like Mayor Garcetti, Mayor Brown, and a bunch of others were doing like cards with money for folks to get groceries and paying for this and paying for that. Like, so there was an app that was like, okay, we could give people mm-hmm. money. And the world didn't end. We didn't become some different country. We're still red, white, <laughs> and blue with stars on the flag. And then the George Floyd murder happened. And mm-hmm. that's when I paused and was reading where do we go from here again and being a nerd i didn't recognize that when he wrote that that year there was like 125 racial pro like protests against racism in this country like the country was like mm-hmm. lit like the people were really mm-hmm. upset and he looked at that and saw guaranteed income and that said aha so i called some of my mayor friends was like look we got folks protesting for george floyd but you know the like there's only so much we can do in our office with policing anyway. And what people are saying is not just about policing, it's about structural violence, the violence of poverty, lack of opportunity. So in this moment, we should all just go big on guaranteed income. And at the same time, the federal government began doing stimulus checks. The Republican federal government began doing stimulus checks. So checks were coming once a quarter. And then the mayor's like, yeah, absolutely. And then luckily, he was able to raise a bunch of money off of that to kind of get them, because I mean, no one wants to take a risk. So I was like, hey, I got half a million for you to do a guaranteed income pilot. Match it. Let's go. And then everyone, so then St. Paul, Minnesota was the first. My mayor Melvin Carter. Yeah. Shout he, out to Melvin. Yeah, but he's yeah. a real one because he yeah. said, "I'm gonna put real. Yeah. I'm gonna put my. I'm, I'm gonna put ARP dollars in it." So he got into a fight yeah. with his congressperson about whether he could use ARP dollars yeah. to do it. But because of that, it became clear that American Rescue Plan dollars could be used. Then you had Mayor Brown and Compton who did it all privately, but did it at scale, like five, 600 people. And then pretty soon, everyone started using ARP dollars, ARP dollars, ARP dollars. And, it, and then the momentum really began to build because then you had sort of a proliferation of, of pilots and yeah. pilots for artists, pilots for this group, pilots for this group, some in government, some outside of government. And in doing so, the more people got checks, you got stimulus checks, you got child tax credit checks, you got these pilot checks, I think it just really changed the conversation where that battle had been won about whether people can be given money. Yeah. And then you had a bunch of momentum. You had the governor come out in California with $35 million for guaranteed income, the only state thus far that put state money in. And it began, so the conversation began to change a, a little bit. So, I, to, <laughs> so to answer your question concisely, I think it was a mixture of sort of moment and just like a crisis demanding a response. Yeah. And I mean, I tell people all the time, politics is a lot like high school. Like, people want to be part of the in-group. People want to be part of, like, the cool kids table. And and guaranteed income just became, like, what the forward-thinking, down-for-the-cause mayors were doing. Like, And I think that, that creates yeah. a lot of momentum. And it's like, well, why aren't you a part? <laughs> like, when it, like yeah. why can't you do this? It actually solves for real problems. And I thought, and, and again, the great reminder, I thought we had really turned the corner. I thought we were going to get this child tax credit through. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to be like, okay, I'm about to focus on something else because not everybody. 
But that's a lot of people getting a guaranteed income, yeah. and I'm good with right. that. And someone else can carry the baton. So I think sort of losing Build Back Better with a majority, a slim majority, but a 51-50 majority in, in, in the Senate was a reminder that this is not necessarily just a right-left problem. Like there's a, as I said yeah. earlier, there's in some respects That's a right. bi, I mean, Democrats are a lot further along, but there is a bipartisan consensus. Even the, I mean, Joe Manchin's comments being a prime example of folks yeah. who just don't want to trust some people with money, whoever, right. and, but no one knows who them people are because it's a, it's an image in people's head well, around someone who doesn't exist or who may yeah, exist. Well, they don't know who they, but they do know who the people are, right? Like, like when they say it, they do. They just don't want, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I should say they don't want to say who those people are. Who's those? <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. And it goes right back to our earlier point, right? That we all are holding. Too many of us are holding these narratives, but we know that they literally can't be true because we've seen the money come. We've seen people's <laughs> lives get better. And we should be telling all of our electives that this is what we want, need, and deserve, right? So, so, so um, what, what, what's crazy on that is that I realize this when we're doing the listening work and stuff is that people think they'll do good with the money, though, right? Everyone I talk to, <laughs> they're like, Tubbs, if you pick me, I'm about to bam, 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 but don't pick them. <laughs> And again, who was, I was like, I was like, describe them to me. What do them look like? Oh, you know, I, I, I actually don't. What do they, what do they look like? Where do they live? Like, what, what do they do? Because it was, but everyone would say, you know, I really, I'm really struggling. I, and I think that's part mm-hmm. of the, the corrosive nature of this individual, individualism myth is this notion that it makes people who have a lot in common really despise, distrust, and, and not like each other, where it was like, I need this. They don't need it. It's really weird, but I think it's this corrosive myth that 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 leads to a lack of empathy and a lack of shared mm-hmm. understanding that maybe the person next to me in, in the same city with the same income might have the same problems as me. Maybe I'm not so unique. Maybe I'm not. Maybe they're just as smart as I am. Maybe they know how to use money, too. But no, it was like, I know what to do. They don't know what to do, and, and it's all. And I, but I think because individualism makes it so that we're so inwardly and self-focused, we don't even look up and think about like, oh wow, that person might be struggling like me, or yeah. wow, that person yeah. may be equally as deserving as me. Maybe I'm not more deserving than my neighbor. Maybe yeah. we both deserve it. Yeah. But but that's just a, yeah. that's like a moral spiritual conversation that we have to have in society too, because it's very like. Selfish and mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, individualism is very seductive, right? Because it does, as you said, it gives me agency. Like I feel like I can do something, but it also does not promote empathy. It does not enable me to see myself in someone else, um, which is like that's that's what's so hard about this this narrative. It's a double edged sword. Mm. Well, I want to make sure though that before we wrap. You've got to tell people what they need to know about your book, about Marriage for Guaranteed Income, about ending poverty in California. What do people need to know? I think people need to know, particularly about on the last one, it's funny because everyone's like, in poverty in California, ha, 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 ha. 
I'm like, no, what's funny is <laughs> that... You said that about liberation in a generation, yeah, yeah. too. Still say that about yeah, liberation in a generation, too. I'm like, that's hella sad. I can see this person. Yeah. Like, that's hella sad. Like, y'all just okay with all this poverty? Like, I'm just built different. I, I think... Oh, we don't end poverty. I'm scared of what happens if we don't end poverty in California, right? So, right. Mm-hmm. so I think that is that it's actually doable. <laughs> like, it's actually not a, even a question of ideas. It's, it's literally particularly in California, a question of political will. And a question of, do we want poverty in California? And then that's why I named it that on purpose, because I'm going to call the question. I want to end poverty in California. Do you? (laughs) Yes or no? And then we can build from there, because to me, it's it's that simple. Simple. I mean, it's not, implementation's hard, but like the idea that we can't end poverty in California is ridiculous. And then measuring guarantee income, we're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing so that we have at least a child tax credit in the next couple of years, at least some form of federal unconditional cash to some amount of people. Um, and, and sure, we have new data coming out from year two of the Stockton pilot. And what's going to be heartbreaking and interesting about that data is that's the data from 2020. Um. So we're going to see like vast divergence between those who received the guaranteed income and those who didn't. And it's going to be really heartbreaking and harrowing that for 125 people who receive $500, their lives are going to be so materially better than their neighbors, all because of they were part of it. They got lucky, <laughs> like, like literally because they were selected. I think it's going to really show how, particularly in pandemics, that economic resilience is tantamount to survival. And it's just, I, I'm not looking forward to, I'm looking forward to sharing it. I, I know it's going to hurt to read sort of the cascading impacts and also just like, mm-hmm. like why don't we just have this? Like, why, like, why, like why, why is it a matter of chance and lottery to have what you need to survive? And then the book is called The Deeper the Roots. And it's really almost like this conversation um, in, in that it just really talks about sort of uses my, my story or my life, but uses it in a way that doesn't like glorify the individual who worked hard to pull himself up by his bootstraps. Because I, I really do think a lot of people work hard. I, I, I don't think effort mm-hmm. in and of itself is, is, is the only criteria for success. But it really talks about systems and it talks about like policies and talks about sort of how these systems up here have very granular impacts on one family, on one community, on one city, on one, on one child. Um, but I think it's also a, a story of hope around sort of how despite these challenges, despite these structures, there are ways to kind of influence it and, and, and push the, the system. I think it's also a book about like what a better, I would argue, a better political frame would be where it's not just power for the sake of power, but it's, it's power to actually like make things better for people and to make the government work for everyone. So I think, but also I think it really complicates like linear like it's it's not that cinderella story because it ends with me losing re-election so i think it also mm. really mm. sort of talks about the price of progress and if you like if you want to make change in the political system like be prepared that everyone's not trying to give everyone money everyone's not trying to give kids scholarships everyone's not trying to have everyone have be liberated in, in, in a generation that in fact most people aren't and i wish mm-hmm. i had i wish i had known that part before I read, I, I really thought, and just being young and dumb, that I used to be about politics, but if we're doing the right thing, if we're helping people, that's enough. But 
the world is the way it is because there are like forces and forces meaning people and institutions that are evil that 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 really like the dysfunction that really like the oppression that really like the marginalization mm-hmm. that really are profitable based off poverty and they're not just gonna let you just come in and change things without a fight <laughs> like, 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 like progress comes at a price so if you're going to do this work be prepared for conflict be prepared to be you know and i'll shut up after this but i was at ebenezer for for dr king's day and sitting there was just so inspiring because i was thinking about wow across this country people everyone loves dr king when when he was actually alive in that pulpit people hated him people thought he was mm-hmm. crazy people like right. murdered him mm-hmm. and not because he was leading an arm not like he was applying insurrections he, like he was just saying we got to end racism militarism and, and, and excessive um capitalism like you know he was like we got to, right. we, we have to evolve mm-hmm. as a country and that was just a harrowing reminder like wow this work is difficult and, and this work is yeah. hard and this work goes against like 400 plus years of a history. And so that's just not going to go away easy. Um, so I think the book kind of talks about that too. Like, yeah, we, like there's highs and lows, there's, there's peaks and yeah. valleys. Um, but I mean, if we don't try to change it, no one else will. <laughs> it's like the lesson, like right. we got to do something or if we don't, cause if we don't do anything like, if we do if we do something, it may or may not work. But if we do nothing, yeah. we know nothing's gonna change. And I no think that's the book in a nutshell. It's like you can do something, yeah. it might work, it might not work. <laughs> but if you do nothing, I don't hear you complain, because it's gonna be the same. There's no change doesn't roll in on the wheels of inevitability, like Dr. King said. Like you have to force it. Mm. Yeah. Well, Michael, thanks for coming on the podcast and it is an honor to be in this fight with you. I love that framing because it is a fight because they they they're gonna they're gonna put up against us. So thanks for coming on the uh, podcast and uh, hope to have you back uh, oh. to, to update us on ending poverty in California. <laughs> no, in, in, any um <laughs> any time. Deep respect for for you guys' work that I know uh, you all have been needy with the laying on some policy conversations. Looking forward to yeah. working together and doing some some big yeah. stuff because I really think if, if like. If we can't do it in California, then it, I'm not sure it could be done, right? Like, like maybe, like maybe that's just not the fight we need to have. Because if the yeah. biggest state with all the Democrats and all the liberals and all the progressives and, and the money and the money, and we the can't. Money. If we can't do it, it's a deeper problem here. So that's what I'm yeah. motivated to spend the next but couple also, years. If we can't figure Y'all out politically how to protect <laughs> and advance and make sure that these are political, are sustainable political fights. So we have our work cut out, but I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Right. Thank, Thank you, Michael. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Michael said all the things. Yep. And I want to, again, double click on one of the things that he said was this is all about political will. And yeah. I want to add that it's about what people are really saying so sometimes like right yeah. now we're having this a lot of conversation about like black a black woman on the supreme court or like oh do we have representation in congress do black people have like we have to be listening to what people are actually saying like the words that are coming out of their mouths because right. it doesn't matter if they have a d or an r behind their names as 
we have yeah. been seeing with this conversation around Build Back Better, a yeah. huge stimulus that would transform and is absolutely necessary for people in a pandemic. Tons of stuff in it getting held up by our not our friend. And, and Michael mentioned him, Joe Manchin, not our friend. Joe Manchin. Like, make no mistake about what's happening. I'm going to use the Joe Biden even. Make no mistake, people. <laughs> what is happening is Joe Manchin is joining with Mitch McConnell to mm -hmm. block critical resources that would go to black and brown communities. That okay. is what's happening. Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema are joining Mitch McConnell, yes. Mr. Y'all Ain't Really Americans, Black People, <laughs> Mitch McConnell, standing in front of a Confederate flag with his peeps, Mitch McConnell, to block critical resources like an expanded child tax credit that would go to families across the country simply by having a child. You don't have to yes. prove how poor you are. You don't have to prove that you're working. You don't have to prove that you're someone that hasn't been to prison. You don't have to prove that you're a student. You have to prove anything except that you have a child and that you get the credit. Being blocked by Joe Manson and Christmas Cinema with Mitch McConnell. That's what's happening. And we should say that he is upholding this personal responsibility myth there, yeah. by saying it need, this is a program, the child tax credit needs to be, again, means tested. Means now, tested. we have to listen Tell to the means tested really means <laughs> <a lot> of... <laughs> so the means. It depends on your income. It depends on whether or not you are making going to work and making money and wealth for somebody else. Then you get to have this little child tax credit. Then you are deserving. And I think what we just need to hear again and again is it's if it's income today, it'll be it can be what you said, not having a, a record tomorrow. It the bar keeps getting reset. And it's not this is about so when you hear political will, that's the political will to drop all of these requirements, drop all of these um, thresholds that say we're deserving. Right. And and that's really what what's holding this up is the idea and, and what would smooth this out is to dismantle white supremacy and racism to the point where people are willing to go with a plan that gives black people, immigrants, people of color, money with no strings attached. Like no that is a, t where he said the ha 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 ha, that's the laugh. Like that's what they're laughing about. Like we're gonna give people money that like, drink malt liquor or that hang around to do nothing and who don't like that is what's going on in their mind. And when they say them, they're talking about black people. They're talking about immigrants. They're talking about people who white society has determined undeserving of government resources. And that is what this debate is about. Like, make no mistake. So when you're means tested, it means we'll give you the resources, black people, but you have to prove that you deserve it. If you can't prove to us you deserve it, you short. Yeah. And that, and that's what's going on. And again, he said it's this black this Republican Democrat thing. This is Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema joining with Southern segregationists in the Senate to block this bill. 
That's what's happening. And saying that, well, I might vote for it if you do this. And, you know, I worry that the Democrats are going to go along with it, that the Democratic leadership is going to go along with it, that Joe Biden is going to go along with it. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of people that showed up at the polls for Joe Biden wouldn't be wouldn't make the means test that Joe Biden, the General Manchin is trying to put on it. They wouldn't get this these resources. And that's not why they showed up for Joe Biden. They showed yeah. up for Joe Biden so he could deliver for them. So he shouldn't sell those people out because of expediency of coming to some deal with Southern segregationists. We should also note that what Michael said is so true. We know that governments can do this. We know that philanthropy can do this too, right? We have, yep. we have the receipts. We also know that it, these same requirements, these means testing and things like that, don't happen for wealthy people who also get checks right. and money yeah. <laughs> and breaks. That's right. Right. So um, this is not, I, I love the way Michael put that, is like, this is not about do we have the money? Um, this is about can we set aside, can we undo these racist tropes um, that we're holding on to about us and them, about somebody else mm -hmm. and ourselves. And it's really hard, I think, to untangle, even for ourselves, even for our individual selves, this idea that we're, we're special and the people, the other people, our neighbor, they could be our neighbors. They're not special. They do not deserve. They are not going, they are not going through the same system. They might be going through the same system, but they've made bad choices in that system. Um, so it's all about, it's not all about, but we have to have grace for each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> um, and hold these folks that are making decisions accountable to having vision beyond individualism. Mm -hmm. And then we just need to walk that road. And we just need to walk that yeah. road with uh, with uh, foresight. We need to bring people along. As Michael talked about, I love the way he talked about how how the mayor, like he's like, it's cool now to be a mayor that has a guaranteed income pilot. Like that is the work that we need to do to keep moving this forward and lean into that that liberatory future. So um, this I'm really, really excited to see where he goes with his work and um, where we can start kicking so that we can start kicking these politicians um like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema in the shade. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining y'all. Peace out. See y'all. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out our list of episode resources and visit us at liberationandagenerationaction.org. Shout out to our producer, Jacob Bronstein, audio editor, Nino Fernandez, communications director, me, Kendra Bozarth, the design team at TrimTab, and the whole squad at LibGen Action. Like what you heard? Help us make some noise by telling two friends about the Racism is Profitable podcast. Until next time, y'all, peace.